As Karen comes forward to read this first scripture, it takes us back to Psalm 139. We studied Psalm 139 um, a couple months ago. It's that psalm that says, Search me and know me, O God. But these last two verses are so essential for us as we head to the sermon this morning. See what you can find in these. Karen? For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works. That I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, and none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. As we come to the reading of the gospel this morning, what you're going to hear are two aspects of change, the way Jesus deals with change. What you're going to hear is kind of the end of the wedding at Cana story where Jesus turns the water into wine. It's so symbolic, the water being the beginning of our baptism, the wine being that which we celebrate on communion Sundays. But then there's a shift. There's a change there. Listen for the change that comes because of the actions Jesus then takes in a very passionate way. Now, standing there were six stones, six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine, it did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. 
Making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciple remembered that it was written, Zeal, for your house will consume me. This is God's word. Again, I want to say happy Father's Day this morning. And what I want to talk about is that essential number five. It is originally meant to be kind of exploring the organizational structure of the church and what creates health and vibrancy is a, a kind of a flat organizational uh, process and structure with little hierarchy and those kinds of things. Instead, I want to go a different direction. I want to talk about process in the church. I want to talk about how change can occur in the church and appropriate ways in which we can potentially discover that. To do it, I want to frame it in a way that takes us kind of through creation and in, in, in things that we see in Scripture about how God continually seeks to take chaos, no matter where or what, how deep, and creates continually the opportunities for order in the midst of that, and particularly as sometimes challenging it can be in a church. So why do we explore this on a Sunday like this? Well, partly because throughout Scripture we see God doing this. Even at the moment of creation, God, God remember I, I've talked about the tohu avohu, that nothingness, that total chaos that was there at creation. And what we see in that creation narrative is, is this slow, beautiful kind of step-by-step -step process where God takes the wideness of the chaos and continually, in a very orderly way, creates more and deeper levels of order and form. Maybe we can learn from that. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Nehemiah, and we don't spend a lot of time in Nehemiah, but you're going to hear a lot about it this morning. Nehemiah's role was to he received a call from God while he was in a foreign country. And that call was in order to have him go back and study the walls of Jerusalem and even the temple that had been completely destroyed, raised, totally torn down and were in a shambles. And Nehemiah hears this call and goes and goes through a process that can help us as he explores rebuilding those walls. Even Jesus shows us how to take chaos and create order out of it. As he was born into a world of absolute chaos, ruled by the Romans, where Jews were scattered at this point, really had very little direction, but were being led by a group that had turned things kind of on its ear for their own benefit. And what you heard in the scripture that Karen read this morning is that one moment where in a very passionate way, Jesus instead turns it upside down and says, this is incorrect. We need to change this. And so he does. We, we hear from Jesus and we read in Jesus a whole understanding in the church of what leadership development is, of kind of recruitment for those that are, are not what you would assume to be the kind of the ultimate leaders but Jesus chooses the ordinary and makes an extraordinary. And the whole wine, water to wine story tells us 
how that can happen if we see ourselves in relationship with Christ. Then we have Paul, who teaches us over and over about what the church could be. Very contextual, very focused on his time, but there are, there are deep truths in the midst of this. At the base of who we are as United Methodists is Scripture. It is the foundation for everything that we are to do. And I want to explore that this morning as we look at what process might be for us as we look at some things in the church. The other thing that you're aware of is that I come out of the business community and, and try and bring those kinds of aspects into the work of the church. One of my favorite authors is Ronald Heifetz. And Heifetz brings this incredible understanding of both the, the best practices of business and how it can engage with the potential best practices in a church. And Heifetz for us creates this kind of hybrid of understanding of what creates excellence and what moves people deeper into their faith and even organizationally as a church, what guides us. Heifetz is always about process and helps us there as, as well. But what I'd like to do is turn now to the book of Nehemiah. And if I was to give you a summer reading assignment, I know you all are taking a break, so maybe you guys don't need this. It would be the book of Nehemiah. But let me just talk quickly about what's going on. I've talked a little bit about it earlier in the worship service. This is a time that is after the exile, after the Jews lose everything. And the powers that be came in and literally destroyed Jerusalem and, and promised that they would take every stone and cast it out and destroy all that represented the God of Israel. And they did it. And they did a really good job of it. And they destroyed everything. Nehemiah is the cupbearer in a far land, and he comes back, and, and he suddenly, one night as he is in prayer, hears a call of God to go back to Jerusalem and inspect the walls. And then to form an opportunity of leadership in in rebuilding the city and the walls. And so the first thing he does is he goes to the king that he serves and he asks permission to do that. He's granted, and, and not only is he granted permission, he also asks for what he needs in order to accomplish the task. And the king, again, gives him what he needs to accomplish the task, including time and resources, even leadership, if he needs it. The most poignant part of Nehemiah is when he comes back and he goes out late at night by himself. And he begins to ride around the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And he comes to the point where he can't use the horse anymore. So he dismounts and very carefully he works his way around every bit of the shambles that are that city. And he takes mental notes of what is needed. And he's very clear that every section needs specific kinds of leadership, specific kinds of talents in order to rebuild that city and that wall. And so he begins to recruit, always, always undergirded by prayer and purpose. And as he recruits, he assigns specifically each, each group to a specific area of the wall. And it's amazing what happens and what you see, the visual picture that you get, are these family groups gathered around one section of the wall, all working together 
under the leadership of Nehemiah, under the direction of Ezra, who was the priest, and under the understanding and clear, clear kind of focus that this is all about God and not about them. And they rebuild. And about halfway through, they stop. And they worship and they celebrate. And they again begin to look at the work. And is this the appropriate kind of process? And, and suddenly they realize, yes, they respond to some of the enemies that are beginning to emerge. And, and they begin to rebuild again. And the final piece of that are the gates, the huge, beautiful, ornate gates in the city. And finally, they put the gates up and then they celebrate. They have a blast. They, they create this whole understanding of a, a new kind of celebration that, that lasts days upon days upon days. It's truly a religious party. And again, focus on God and Thanksgiving and all those things. That's Nehemiah. So what does that mean for us? Well, let me go personal first. For each of us, might we in this time begin with our own kind of prayer and understanding of what God's will and purpose might be for us? The only way we will know what that is is if we stop at moments in our lives and decide that this is important enough that I'm going to set aside a time where I can listen to the voice of God and in the midst of that listening, the question that I ask of you is, what is your call as a part of this body of Christ? What is the call of God? And by the way, every single one of us, every one of us has a call and a purpose under heaven in the work that is to be done in this place. So we explore that call. And we inspect our hearts to see where those places may be that we may be failing. And then we confess those and we begin to rebuild our souls in a way that allows us to go deeper and move forward. We engage in conversation with each other because sometimes it's hard for us to rebuild ourselves alone. And what we have to do is turn to others that we love and trust and say, Man, what do you see in me that needs work? And as a church, maybe this is a time where we begin to talk about small groups or other groups where we can turn and have that conversation with each other and go deeper in our own spiritual lives. And then we come together each Sunday to celebrate the God that allows that work in us or opens up the opportunity for us to confess those places where we miss the bark or gather together in those places that kind of tear at us where we need prayer and support. And we worship, knowing that we're gathered in this place not only because of each other, but because of a God who loves us. That's a process by which we can engage our own spiritual lives. But now let me take it even deeper as we examine some things as a church. I promised you last week that I, it was time for me to make a turn and begin to get more courageous about the way that I speak with you. We're in a time now where we are rebuilding. It's been a year of, of looking at call. It's been a year of inspection. And by that, I mean just examining where we are as a church. It's been a year of beginning to rebuild and looking at things like recreating the visioning task force 
so that we can do the archaeological work of what this church has been for its last 50 years so that we might be able to appropriately then look ahead. This week is the first week where the Committee on Lay Leadership is going to come together, and that group is, by the way, going to be asking every single one of you, your gifts, your talents, your call, all of those things, so that we can gather that information and marry it to what the Visioning Task Force is looking at so that we might be able to see what God has provided for us here and move into that future with confidence where every one of you, every one of us, is engaged in that place where we need to be engaged and are called to be engaged. And all that comes together under the Leadership Council who will provide direction and evaluation, move it from just being a kind of a, a reporting body into a body that helps us move forward. But now let me even go deeper. I want to talk about this room. What is this room? What is this room? Isn't this the place where we come to worship? Isn't this the place where our hope and dream is that somehow, as soon as we walk in here, something happens? Something happens. And I think it's time to re-examine some of that. And we met as a worship task force last Wednesday night. And most of that meeting was right here in this room. And I've been, as you know, looking at this room for a year now and wondering if this is what it needs to be. To get there, I want to have the theological conversation with you about the design of what this room is intended to be. And it goes all the way back into the early stages of the Old Testament in the tabernacle of meaning, which was the, the tent that they set up while they were coming from and toward coming from Egypt and into the promised land. And that turned into the creation of the temple in Jerusalem. And you know what? We still have elements of that temple right here in this place. There was a gathering place in the temple, very much like our narthex, that what it did was allowed you to go from the street or the world and begin to have your hearts transformed and prepared for what you would be receiving or offering when you came into worship. And then there's the center aisle. And the purpose of the center aisle of any church is as soon as you begin to walk through these doors, your focus goes where? To the center here. And it should travel immediately to the table. And the table represents so many things. And then that moves from the table to potentially the baptismal font, which is over there, to remind us of where we began in our spiritual faith and then moves to there to the cross. This elevated area is very much like in, in, in many churches where this is the configuration and most are, you take these steps up because this becomes sanctified, a holy area where the practices of worship take place most readily. It represents the, the area of the altar of incense in the old temple and is very, very holy. Thus, for many of us as we grew up, there was something that separated the congregation from this. This. An altar rail is not just for kneeling in prayer, but there's a reason that there is separation. This becomes holy. Even in the passing of the plates in offering, you notice there's movement from here 
to there with the plates. But that's not all. Now I'm going to come and look at the choir. Because by design, there is an elevated area in the sanctuary here where normally the table sits. Elevated to represent the Holy of Holies in the ancient temple. Where that is really what takes our breath away. The Holy of Holies. And that's where the eyes go, finally. Immediately when we walk in the center aisle. What's happened in a lot of churches is all of that has changed. I'm not sure it's an appropriate change. Because what's happened, for instance, let's talk about here. What's happened is all of this almost becomes secondary. The table has a tendency to disappear. I had so many people have no idea that we had a baptismal font here. Why? Because we don't have it in a prominent place. It's kind of this bowl sitting on this pedestal. And instead of having the eyes go immediately from from the center aisle up to the table and the baptismal font and the cross, in first service what we have are the faces of the praise team. And often what happens is the table comes down on the floor. It's very Presbyterian of us because, and yet, again, it disappears in the midst of that. And there is this blockage that happens when our eyes are intended to move to the cross. Now, I love the choir. And you all are very holy. But you're seating in that place that is designed to be the focus. And as beautiful as you are, I'm not sure that's where it needs to be. And my favorite moment is where Alan steps up and turns his back. And what we see is a beautiful back. (laughs) But is that the part of Alan that we really want to see? And is that what really engages us with this God of creation? It's true. So, in other words, join the choir, right? Yeah, we'll get that recruitment going. So, what does that mean then for us? Might it mean that we begin a process of exploration? That we listen once again for the call of God of what this room could be? Let me do two other things about the room. It was amazing. Shannon shared with us about Shannon and Tom's new home in Issaquah and that they they brought a friend up um, from Texas to look as an interior decorator and looked at their home. And they, their home sits on a beautiful street, kind of in a cul-de-sac area, and, and the back focuses out on this beautiful green belt. And she walked in, and immediately in the living room, looking out the back windows, said, you can't see the forest. Their question was, why? What do you mean? We can see the forest. Not in the way that it could be because white, which is what the walls were, stopped the eye. White stops the eye. What color is this room? Guess what the other color is that stops the eye? Red. Lord, we have a lot of red. So might we begin to think about the call of God for what this room could become? We had a wonderful meeting with Nathan and Alan between services today as we talked about some of this. 
it might be time to rethink about placement of the praise team. And, and by the way, this chancel occupies a full third of this area, a third of the area of the sanctuary. And might, might we think about shrinking it down some and providing a space for the praise team maybe over here so that they can remain set up every Sunday to remind us this is a part of who we are as a church, drums and guitars and amps and those kinds of things. And might we examine how we might move the choir and even the organ over here so they don't become the center of focus, which knowing these folks well enough, that's not their intention. But it is how we have, reconfi have configured this sanctuary. What if we explored color? What if we explored other things that we might do to enhance the awe? And what I'm asking for is a process that we find in Nehemiah. What if be we begin this process, and this process can go on for a while? Begin it with prayer and realizing our call of God to create a space in here that brings that element of awe again. To move beyond the, but this is how it's always been, to this is how it could be. To then look at and inspect and have conversation around what this could be and dreaming together about this. The danger in most churches, and it happens so often, is that a very small group makes major decisions that influence and impact the whole church. You need to know, I will not lead a church that way. Every single voice in this church, new, not new, new to faith, KG veteran, every single voice is imperative. Every single voice needs to be heard. Everyone needs to be in this conversation. And all I'm talking about right now is the sanctuary. So we do that. We pray. We inspect, have conversation. We create a plan. Thank you, Isaac. We create a plan that has everyone involved and we move forward knowing that we are covered in prayer, in relationship, in conversation by God. Everything we do in the church needs to be under that kind of understanding. Every decision, every process to engage this Nehemiah process. So here's what I'm asking you to do. First of all, summer reading assignment, Nehemiah. See what you can find out of this and see if you can find yourself somewhere in this book. Begin to pray. Begin to pray about your call. Every one of you has a call to ministry at Aldersgate. Every one of you. What's your call? Pray about process in the midst of the church as we begin to examine all of this. And I'm just playing with the whole sanctuary piece. However, in the midst of that, what you're going to see over the next two or three months is we're going to play with the space. Play is the appropriate word. Our hope is to have fun with this. Our hope is to have fun with this. <laughs> to play with the space. 
to move the chairs off the chancel, to maybe move the table back, to rearrange some things up here, to have some fun with it, to look at the liturgy and the, the order of worship and play around with that a little bit, but have a fun time this summer in, in doing this inspection to even potentially look at colors. We're not going to paint. No, not yet. We're not going to pull up the carpet yet. We're not going to change the chancel yet. But what's the call of God to create awe in the space more than we have right now? So the, fa the final thing I'm asking of you is to be patient. In the midst of that, talk about it. Talk about it. Talk to me about it. Talk to Shannon about it. Talk to each other about it. But if you talk to each other, pull it in from the parking lot so that we all engage in the conversation. Let's have some fun with this and see where this goes. See where this goes. It was so interesting. I'll close with this thought. It was so interesting that after first service, having this conversation, one person left the sanctuary and said, well, maybe we shouldn't repave the parking lot. Well, we need to repave the parking lot. However, however, thinking differently about what we do, where we are, what's our purpose, where we're headed, all of those things. This is going to be a fun time, and I mean that. It's going to be a fun time as we prepare for all that. Will you pray with me? God of creation, we thank you for the opportunity to continue to grow as people of faith to continue to explore what we need to be as a church, even explore what this room represents and how it's configured and how we can create a more, a greater sense of awe, of reminders at the table, at the font, at the cross, why we're here and what it means for us as we depart from here. Guide us in this time. Help us engage in this. Keep us safe in the midst of these conversations. Keep us focused in that place where we need to be focused. That is on you. That's why we're here. Again, guide us in this time. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.